1: Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnecker. I am your host today, and we're coming back to a topic we've discussed a few different times on this show, but it's one that we'll discuss many more times in the future, I'm sure. And even this week, this has become a topic again because it's in the news again, because uh, many in the railroad industry have been threatening a strike. Looks like perhaps that strike will be avoided, but that brings back to the surface the issues we continue continue to have here in the United States with the supply chain. We talk about our supply chain issues. Uh, going all the way back to uh, really when COVID started and many people were out of work, and so the supply chain uh, was not functioning the way that it was supposed to. We had a guest on, Tho Bishop. We've had him on a few different times from the Mises Institute, helping us to understand that. Uh, but again, these issues continue. We've seen it with baby formula. We've seen it with diapers, baby products, uh, big issue, of course. Uh, Food in some parts of the country, shelves nearly empty, and these things fluctuate. There's an up and a down. There's an ebb and a flow to all of it. But it continues to bring back this topic of the supply chain in the United States, how we get the goods that we use. Before we jump into that, though, um, I would imagine if you've been to the grocery store recently, you've noticed that things are more expensive. Gas is more expensive. It doesn't matter where you live in this country. Things are more expensive. The economy, our economic future is uncertain. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we can do to protect our financial future for our families, for our children? What can we do personally? Uh, One of the things I would recommend is at least considering adding gold and silver into your IRA, your investment accounts. Take a look, figure out how to do that and see if that is the right fit for you. The place that you can start is with Lear Capital. Call Lear Capital and you can get their free precious metals investor guide. You can also ask them about their Lear Advantage IRA that lets you transfer or roll over your old 401k or IRA into a gold and silver tax advantage IRA. Plus, Lear is offering right now crazy shipping, uh, free shipping, and up to $15,000 in bonus gold or silver with a qualified purchase. This is something you at least need (laughs) to take a look at. You can call for details 800-489-6450. Lear Capital is the most rated precious metals company on consumer affairs with a near perfect rating on Trustpilot. Call them at 800-489-6450. That is 800-489-6450. Calling that number, you will get, your free kit, and there you will learn how gold has performed during periods of inflation, government debt, interest rate hikes, economic crashes, even wars, and how in all of those gold has been the financial bedrock asset in portfolios. Uh, One of the things I love about Lear Capital is that they are an American-owned company proud to do business with Americans that share conservative values. Write this number down. 800-489-6450. Call them today or if you don't want to call, you can click the link below in the show description and the show notes. Check them out. You will do yourself a great service by at least investigating Lear and what they have to offer. For many of us, if you're like me, you hear term the term supply chain and you have an idea of what that means, but maybe don't fully understand how what's happening somewhere else impacts you directly. And so grateful today to have on actually two guests and a bit of a, an economic roundtable, if you will, talking about these issues with two men who spend a lot of time thinking about them. Uh, we have on with us today, William Anderson. William is a fellow of the Mises Institute and a retired professor of economics at Frostburg State University. He earned his M.A. in economics from Clemson University and his Ph.D. in economics from Auburn University, where he was a Mises Research Fellow. He writes and edits much of the content that you'll find on uh, Mises.org, which again, though Bishop has talked a lot about with us, so many great resources there. And uh, William even talks about this again as the interview concludes. But such a great mind on just economics generally and how what's happening in the economic world impacts us directly. Grateful to have him on. We also have with us today Jim Nellis. Jim Nellis is the Senior Vice President of of global supply chain management for Bluebird. And uh, man, he he is dealing with this every single day. And again, you'll hear in the interview, such an incredible perspective on what is happening. Uh, I'll read from his bio. In his current role, he is responsible for optimizing Bluebird's global supply chain, ensuring best-in-class cost quality and throughput and forging long-term strategic partnerships to secure critical components. He's been doing this for more than 20 years. He is truly an expert on the supply chain and man, we had a great conversation. I learned so much. I I, I always approach economic conversations uh, very hesitantly because I, I have had classes. I have tried to understand. I read articles. I do my best. Uh, but there's math involved. And I always struggle with the math. Uh, thankfully, we have a great conversation today about the supply chain, what it is, how it impacts us, what can be done. And even how we as consumers can uh, really hedge uh, our lives against what potentially could happen in the future if it doesn't go well. So many great conversations and uh, very grateful to be able to share this interview with you. William Anderson, Jim Nellis, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. And, uh, man, what a crazy time we're living in. But thanks for coming on and talk about some of this. My pleasure. Nice to see you. Thank you, man. Um, appreciate the invite. There is – so we, we are always talking about supply chain, it seems. The whole world is talking about it. And I think most people have no idea what any of it means. And then now we are faced with uh, a railroad strike potentially that will certainly impact supply chain. And uh, man, there's a lot to this. Jim, I wanted to start with you. As the Senior Vice President of Global Supply Chain Management, um, I know you have a unique perspective on this. I would imagine this is something that you spend a lot of time, if not worrying about, thinking about. Uh, Kind of give us a thumbnail on this, uh, the 30,000-foot view on what a railroad strike would mean. Uh, some of the supply chain issues that we've had and why we're having them and how that impacts the end user. I mean, that's where I'm sitting. I've got a family I need to provide for. Uh, What does all of this mean on a, you know, every man kind of level? Well, let's start with the railroad strike. And
2: fortunately, it looks like they're going to avert the strike. So um, they, they agreed yesterday in principle to an agreement. They'll have to still ratify that with their union members. One union's already voted that they don't want to accept it. So we'll see what happens. But if they do strike, it's, it's, it's quite frightening. Uh, just under 30% of all goods move on rail in the United States. A railroad strike would cost the economy about $2 billion a day. And it would hit us in some areas that could really hurt, um, agricultural products uh, and bulk chemicals as well as automobiles. Now, think about bulk chemicals. If you don't get chlorine, what can't you do? You can't chlorinate your water, then you can't drink your water. So that could lead, if it went extended for an extended period of time, not only to a food crisis, but a health crisis, along with just a further devastation to the U.S. economy. Um, I don't believe that the government would allow a protracted, a protracted strike. I think they would step in and deem it illegal and and basically force them to accept the recommendation of the federal government's
1: uh, presidential emergency board. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, William we talk a lot about supply chain. this is just the next kind of iteration of that, but we've been talking about this for a couple of years. Um, as an economist, can you give us a a perspective on when we talk about supply chain what are we what are we actually talking about
3: all right when we okay, number one, you have to understand something the United States is a very complex economy we you and I consume goods that are made or produced perhaps even up to thousands of miles away, all right, certainly. And therefore, goods have to be transported, not just goods, but also component parts. Uh, And uh, think, for example, of uh, gasoline. You say, well, uh, gasoline is moved by pipeline. Well, ethanol is not, all right, and ethanol is a required additive In most gasolines, and most ethanol, is moved by rail. You cannot move it by pipeline because it eats the seals. The alcohol eats the seals. And so you think, oh, see, all those those new tank cars on trains, all right, now that is a a railroad strike means that ethanol is not getting to the refineries. And so, therefore, the refineries would have to shut down, especially in places like California where, you know, they pay – absolute fealty to uh whatever the Hmm. pollution laws is. That nobody they would never allow oh well we'll just have uh gasoline without (laughs) ethanol for a while. They would (laughs) never allow that, no matter what, even if it meant shutting down the whole economy. And so you have to keep in mind that you know with this kind of complexity that you would have it you know and, and it goes back again all the way to the source. Let's say for example uh, agricultural products. That means crops rotting in the fields. It doesn't mean, oh, we'll put them away and then later on we'll pick them up. No, some, you know, some crops that are, are moved, uh, would be done, uh, you know, that are moved by rail. You can't just all of a sudden say, okay, well, we'll just haul yeah. them by truck because you yeah. don't have the capacity or the contractual relationships to do that. So what you're talking about, you, what you do is you start from the final product. You start working backward and think of component parts, how it all gets together. And uh, and in the end, uh, the uh, what we have is one big mess.
1: How much of um, this mess is because of, you know, two reasons we've been given in the last couple of years is COVID. Um, Employee shortages, people who are working just aren't available. And the other one is, um, you know, what's happening in uh, Eastern Europe. How how much do those events kind of globally impact the supply chain issues that we've been been dealing with? And I know both of you have probably an opinion on that. Sure. So I think COVID was a catalyst that exposed a lot of the weaknesses
2: in the supply chain. Uh, It wasn't just COVID. Another thing that to uh, exploit the supply chain issues is a number of companies over the last 20 years have gone to just-in-time delivery and minimizing their inventory. And that is Mm. fine when the supply chain is running smoothly. When there's a hiccup, Mm. they run out of inventory, they can't make their parts, or they can't get the components to make their parts, which means they can't supply the rest of the people. Um, Over-reliance on offshoring and low-cost country sourcing. Uh, When your supply chain extends into China and Vietnam and places like that, uh, it's very easy to get a hiccup. And then the labor shortage as well. But there's one other aspect of this that I think is really contributing to the supply chain issues, and I think that's the overregulation on the part of the government of the different aspects of supply chain. Uh, I'll give you a great example. There are some amazing American soldiers in the ages of 18 to 20 years old who drive 18-wheeler trucks for the for the military. They are forbidden by law from driving across state lines as a private uh, Commercial driver, they can get a driver's Hmm. license at a consumer. Excuse me, a uh, a, a commercial driver's license at the age of 18, but they must remain in their home state. They can't cross state lines. That's ridiculous. In California, you can't bring a truck with an engine older than 2006 onto into California. As of December 31st of this year, that goes up to 2010. That's going to take another 80,000 trucks off the road in California. California law AB5, which was the gig economy law aimed at trying to get Uber to hire people. That's going to take another 70,000, up to 70,000 trucks off the California highways. And last, I think there's a labor issue. Uh, If you look at the power that the railroads have, we just talked about that, but also the longshoremen and the dock workers on the West Coast. They've been working without a contract since July 1st. Uh, They're threatening to strike. They haven't done that yet. But the two biggest issues that they're fighting on, one is automation of the ports. They are fighting very hard to keep the ports from being automated, which is why the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach rank as the bottom two efficient ports in the world. We're behind countries like Congo and Nigeria when it comes to the efficiency of ports, Mm. and that's really embarrassing. There's no single American port in the top 10. The best performing American
1: port is number 23, and that's the Port of Virginia. Wow. Unbelievable, William. What's causing uh, causing this?
3: Well, and let, let me let me go on with that too, because uh, understand that about forty percent of our imports come in through the port of Los yeah. Angeles and yeah. the uh, the port of Long Beach. So this is not a trivial issue, and uh, and this goes all the way back because most of, most of your trade now, and you know, in terms of import, what's what's actually transported via uh via boat is done by containers container shipping is the is the method by which we do it and if you think about before how long it took to load up a ship uh with the old way and then once we went to containers that it was much much faster process well unions don't like that because number one it takes away from the need of union workers and thus it takes away their powers and the Longshoremen's Union for years has been not only uh, very militant, it's been yeah. very, very corrupt, and it um, and uh, so you get that that kind of uh, thing where they, you know, that uh, and it's been protected by democratic politicians. Yeah. And so, uh, in a place like California, where the Demo- it, this is a one-party state, and
1: I, I live in yeah.
3: California, I can tell sure. you. It's yeah, I live in California, too. I
1: feel like you guys are beating up on me a little bit. But I'm glad to know, William, you're here, too. So <laughs> we're
3: all yeah, suffering. Well,
0: although
1: I'm in, I'm,
3: in, I'm in Placer County, which is not a Democrat yeah. county, and it's actually fairly well run. But uh, the uh, the problem that, you know, these these things that it's bad enough, but, you know, you if you don't have COVID, okay, you still you, – you have uh, – a system that functions because people generally show up for work on time. There are weaknesses. I absolutely agree with you that COVID exposed a lot of the weaknesses, but um also what happened was that uh when you know that when when people were ready to go back, it was hard to put these things together mm. precisely because of the regulatory system, like you talk about California taking trucks off the road. It you know they just what you have is legislators just set these arbitrary dates uh, and you know uh, trust me that a car in a truck in 2006 its emissions are <laughs> are not going to be anything I'm not even insignificantly greater or worse than emissions from a 2010 vehicle but it's just the California legislature doing things because they can do it and so this is a that you end up with a real problem. And also, keep in mind that the people passing this legislation and the governor signing the legislation, uh, Governor Newsom, that they do not bear a cost for the chaos that comes afterwards. You You know, why is it? Because, well, you know, their big thing, frankly, the thing that runs democratic politics is the sexual revolution. And, uh, and as long as they are fairly radical in the sexual revolution, for whatever reason, voters in California are going to vote that. And what they'll do with everything else when stuff blows up, you know, when it's hard to get, when shelves are empty and it's hard to get goods on the shelf, well, you just blame capitalism. And now, okay, you've got a ready made, uh, thing. You blame, uh, you know, the, this company or that company, whatnot. Uh, you blame uh, the price system. You, you know, you, you know, it's just yeah. all. Consp- then
1: it becomes yeah. a conspiracy. So, and that takes us to an interesting question and yeah. one that is being uh, a statement that's being even pushed today is that the government is creating the supply chain crisis. The government is creating yeah. it. Now, I think we could say they are creating it through policy. But when we talk about the government creating the supply chain issue, is that an intentional? creation of a problem so that the government has to solve it. Uh, when, when we talk about that, when we say that, what do we what do we mean by that? Is it just they're not good at this <laughs> or they're intentionally trying to hurt the economy? Well, they're, they're definitely not good at it. Um, and yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily trying to hurt the economy
2: as much as they are trying to put forth their agenda and the, the side effects of their agenda be damned for the rest of the world. So, for example... Yeah. We talked about the emissions uh, with the different truck engines and the dates of the truck engines. That's a purely um, random line in the sand that they've drawn to help push a green initiative. The, yeah. the gig economy is to try to help more union members get into place, right, that AB5 law in California. Um, the, 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 the Stimulus Act that they passed, $1.3 trillion mm-hmm. in, in stimulus. Guess what? Only $17 billion of that goes to U.S. ports, Seventeen billion of that, as a comparison, sixty-five billion is going to help um, give better broadband to people who don't have broadband. So yeah. we can't get <laughs> right. the goods into the country that we need to to build the, the materials and to get stuff to the store shelves. But we're not spending the money to get it fixed. Instead, we're trying to get equity yeah. in roads and bridges and things like that, and that's not really going to help the economy at all. In fact, it's going to hurt it.
0: Yeah.
3: No, I, and, and what you have to understand, okay, the people passing this are politicians. Yep. Yeah. Okay. They they do not have you know, they, they may have a personal stake in that they're inconvenienced by their idiocy like every, you know, like <laughs> the rest of us. But um, but they don't pay a political price for it. And any time with a politician, politician is always looking what how does this affect my chances for reelection uh, in the future? That is the only thing that matters in the end. Uh, these they are not guardians of the economy. They're not people that say, "Man, what we really want is for you know people to really have the opportunity to live well." If that were the case in a private enterprise economy, then they would, yeah, you know, there would nobody would be needing their you know the politician services, or nobody yeah. would think about it. But so I, but I think that the other the other part of it, uh, I never want to give them too much credit. You know, I've never, you know. Most politicians that I have talked to, and I've got, I've talked to them from, you know, from Al Gore to George W. Bush to whatever, that they're pretty clueless. Uh, They, it's, it's the rare politician that actually can sit down and have a halfway intelligent discussion of economics that they're not going to do. They're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to, to hold to, lot of pretty crackpot ideas and the other thing is that you know that it, like a, you know you you have to talk about your constituency uh ab5 was written by the afl cio now the afl cio for all of the the rhetoric that says we represent all workers that's nonsense of course they don't represent all workers they can't represent all workers they don't want mm. to represent all workers they want to represent themselves because they want benefits, and the only way that they can get extra benefits for their people is to exclude other mm. people. You, it's a wealth transfer, and you got to have people to transfer. You know that that you know workers. Uh, and and by the way, it's not transferring wealth from the company, no matter what they say. AB five did not transfer wealth from the uh, from the <laughs> billionaires. It transferred wealth right. from the people who lost their jobs. Right. And you know that was where the wealth transfer comes. But getting a politician to see that, number one, and getting them to care is another thing. I mean, remember when freelance writers lost their jobs? The uh, woman from San Diego who uh, originally sponsored AB5, her retort was, "Well, those weren't very good jobs yeah. anyway." Yeah. And so, in other words, that it's basically screw right. you. Um, here, you know this. You see this? This is my middle finger, and. Um, <laughs> And so that's, uh, you know, that's where it goes. And so you you have to understand that, again, if their agenda causes a problem, why then it's capitalism. Yep. It's free enterprise. It's these uh, business executives. It's like Robert Wright. There's no inflation. They're just greedy <laughs> corporations. Oh, OK. Well, that's yep. see, that. And, and and every progressive uh, reposts that on
1: Facebook, you know, and, and and it becomes their religion. It's, it's all that uh, the, that middle finger policy that uh, is driving everything. That's going to be my new my new phrase: middle finger policies. Uh, what what are um, policies? So let's we've got midterm elections coming up. I don't know how much that's going to impact this A new president gets into office. Let's say the right person gets into office sitting in the seat. They have the ability to make whatever decisions they want to make. So we're talking about a very a very uh, utopian world here. Uh, what are the right policies that could be put in place now that would turn this thing around? What are some things that need to be done to get us back to where things are working well?
2: Well, I think we've already talked about some of them, such as repealing the uh, that you must be 21 years old to drive a truck, because what that causes is a whole generation of people who may want a career as a truck driver going to construction or brick lane or something like that yeah. because they don't have the yeah. opportunity to make money, you lose that. I'd like to see a lot of these other laws re, uh, repealed where you have to have a certain, um, a, a certain year engine in your truck to get into uh, California. Um, The other thing I would like to see repealed, and and William, I'd love your thoughts on this, is the Jones Act. Uh, It's not very well known, but the Jones Act is a law that (laughs) says you can't ship from one U.S. port to another U.S. port unless the the boat meets four requirements. It must have been built in the United States. It must be 75 percent owned by U.S. citizens. It must be 75 percent manned by U.S. citizens. And it must fly the U.S. flag. As of yesterday, there were 100 ships that met that requirement in the world and they're all older wow. ships, and they they're much more expensive to operate. And what does this mean? It basically means that if a ship leaves Shanghai and has uh, half of its container loads are meant for Hawaii, if it stops in Hawaii, it cannot continue to the port of Los Angeles and unload the rest of it. So what happens is wow. that ship leaves Shanghai, goes to the port of Los Angeles, everything gets unloaded there, and then it gets put on one of these 100 boats, 100 ships, and shipped <laughs> back to Hawaii. And some estimates say that that's uh, costing uh, Hawaiians an extra 30% in the cost of the goods that they have to purchase. But it's not just Hawaii. Imagine some place where you could set up what we call in in trucking milk runs, where you drop stuff off in the port of Vancouver and then in the port of Los Angeles. Then you go through the canal and you're dropping things off at the port of Savannah and the port of Jacksonville. That would cut costs tremendously and it would also reduce a lot of the uh, congestion at the ports. If we did some of those things, I think we'd be in great shape. Unbelievable. I'll tell you what, the Jones Act is
3: one of these abominations. Hmm. And by the way, Trump, when he was president, refused to suspend the Jones Act, even to get stuff to Puerto Rico. And in other words, that you had to uh, transport stuff uh, from the United States to Puerto Rico in one of these uh, cranky old tubs of which you speak. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it wreaks havoc in the cruise industry. It wreaks havoc, period. It also creates a real problem, uh, especially, you know, on the coast, because the, uh, uh, you could, you could do a lot better. You could, let's say, for example, uh, shipping goods from uh, Washington to, to Los Angeles, all right, that, the only way we can do it now in the United States is do it by rail and truck because we just don't have the capacity to move these goods uh, by ship. Because you, the idea is you can't leave a U.S. port and then if you're a foreign-owned ship, you can't leave a U.S. port and then dock at another U.S. port. You have to go to a foreign port first and then you could go. Uh, and, and so that's why uh, you end up with a real it's – a, it's a real mess. Yeah, getting rid of the Jones Act would, uh, would change uh, things. The problem is this, though, even with, let's say we got rid of the Jones Act, but we kept the same yep. port infrastructure that we have mm-hmm. now uh, and the mm-hmm. like. Uh, and by the way, the trucking industry would oppose it because, well, it'll put truckers out of work, but, which um, actually would, no, it would change the exactly. nature of trucking. I mean, there's always a, a, you yeah. know, a need for transportation. And I think that we we really have to you know you you have to understand that in a market system, if a if a service is useful, there's always going to be there's going to be a market for it. All right, you've got to find where that market is. But with uh, with a regulatory system like we have. Uh, the first thing is, is it blocks certain markets. The second thing is, you end up with a constituency that depends on that exactly. regulation for survival, uh, and that's like, for example, ethanol. That you know nobody in their right mind would put ethanol in a vehicle. You know, <laughs> I, I used to tell my students that you don't pour Jack Daniels in your car; you drink it. That's a proper use for it. But um, the uh, but. What do you have? You've got uh, Iowa. Iowa is the first—you know—it's the first big political event for the presidential campaign. So you've got all these guys going there and uh, singing the praises of ethanol. I remember uh, Newt Gingrich calling for in uh, what in 2016 or so, calling for um, the uh, maybe it's 2012, with whatever. He- 2012, yeah, you're calling for requirement, requiring all cars to be E85 hmm. and, and all sorts of things like that. And, and, you know, you just go there to play up to Iowa because they grow a lot of corn and process a yeah. lot of it into ethanol. Of course, that's, you know, a malinvestment in, uh, in corn as well. And so, you know, you, you end up, remember I said you start the final product, you start working backward at the factors. And what happens in a regulatory system is it makes these factors go askew. Um, And I'll be honest with you, that even with all this, even with the craziness and the lockdowns and all of the really bad policy, it's amazing that we still are actually able to get things uh, that that we need. And, um, I mean, it's an extraordinary effort by the people working around A lot of this madness. But what happens, you know, if the government really, really cracks down and starts getting really crazy? At some point, the system could really break down and then, you know, you would see a lot of chaos and it would not be pretty.
1: So with that, and that brings me to really kind of my so what question for Normal people, again, who are watching this happen, who have very little influence on policy that's made, we can vote, we can do those things, and we should. But as you know, households, as individuals um, who need to look down the road and say, it's not a perfect world, it's not a utopian society. We don't know what the next administration is going to do. What is your advice, each one of you, from kind of a different perspective? What's your advice to people like me? I've got four kids, I've got a, a house in the suburbs. Uh, I, I need to somehow hedge against what potentially could happen. What What's some advice that, that people need to, to heed and how can they begin to prepare for some of these things? I think preparedness
2: takes a, a couple of different faces. I mean, number one, you've got to get out there and vote. You've got to vote for people that will talk about the issues and will make a public commitment to doing the right thing. And you have to support those folks you, and you've got to make sure that this becomes an issue. Number two is you really need to start looking at um, your, your household consumption. And I'm not saying start hoarding things, but there are certain, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to, to have some extra canned goods around. It wouldn't be a bad idea to have some, um, freeze dried food sitting around for if something happens. I mean, we're, if we're, we're gonna, we're looking at serious food problems coming into this year and next year because of the fertilizer shortage that's coming from the war in Ukraine. So it's being prepared, it's voting, and it's making this a a topic that you talk about with with friends and with family so that they can understand the importance of this. And let me give you one other example of how this impacts the everyday person, right? The US um, is a major exporter of soybeans to to China. Brazil is the second largest um, exporter of soybeans to China. Brazil said, you know what, we wanna beat America. So they looked where the soybeans were grown in Brazil. They looked at the closest port, and they invested a ton of money in infrastructure, both in the roads and in the port. And now they can get soybeans from Brazil to China less expensive than we can from the U.S. to China. And so we're, we're at the verge of losing our status of exporting that. That hurts farmers. That hurts people in the middle of the country. And no one talks about that. It's not a sexy topic, but it's a topic that impacts people's lives and impacts their ability to go spend money, which then – you know, contributes to the rest of the economy.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, that the first thing that came to mind is, uh, you know, the Mormon, you know, church, you know, Mormons are supposed to uh, uh, have like a year supply of food on hand, you know, <laughs> generally, you know, with canned goods or freeze dried goods, stuff like that. It's prob it's not a bad idea anyway. It's kind of like makes, sure, you know, try to try to keep things uh, available. I mean, it's, it's hard to know uh you know, and i and I'm very, very reluctant to uh to constantly be uh predicting just the collapse of the world. I mean that's uh I'm not Alex Jones. Uh and, <laughs> and uh, I remember that um you know, in nineteen eighty two uh when Doug Casey wrote in Reason that we are about to enter the, the Greater Depression and this is going to happen and then he kept on referring to it, and, you know, 40 years later, he just finally gave up and said, we're in the greater depression. And uh, the, uh, but I, I think, you know, that, but not have a Pollyanna look, a view of the, of the world, because I'm always amazed at how how hard our people work to, to mm-hmm. put things together, to patch things together, to make things work. But at the same time, you've got, you know, you've got a political system out there that is becoming more and more destructive. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the most, the two most uh, destructive political systems are, you know, state political systems are, are, um, in, you know, major cities and, you know, major, you know, places major states, I mean, New York and California. And, um, and so, those are places you know that now the new port of new york is nothing like it used to be by any means but um but certainly california is because we do so much trade through asia and uh i i think that you you have to understand that 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 these things could happen you want to have some kind of line of defense personal defense it won't last forever. I mean, if things really collapse like crazy and go nutso, we probably are going to get caught up with it one way or the other. And um, and there's not, you know, we we would have to always try to, you know, go through the cracks. But at the same time, I think, you know, that uh, doing things that we're doing right now, talking about it, you know, getting the word out to people uh, and, you know, maybe we can, you know, help make a difference.
1: That's good. Uh, one of the ways, William, that a lot of people can find out about what's going on is through the Mises Institute. Can you talk about that for just a second and how people can connect with you guys there?
3: Well, I think uh, yeah. You first, you go to our web page. You know, Mises.org. Uh, I'm the uh, one of the editors for that. Most of the articles you'll see on that web page are the ones that that I've edited. You know, come you know that come through, um, and so that's my personal connection there. And I've yeah. written a lot for it as well. Uh but it's it's not just daily articles. My gosh, it's it's events, it's books, uh it's yeah. speakers and the like. And they put out a lot of uh of material that uh, all the way from from very I think you know acad you know, academically rich uh material like what you would see from Professor Peter Klein, uh to the more practical stuff, the things that you read on our page or on our blog and the like. So I would you know, it it had. There are a lot of things uh, that that page has, and that you know the institute has. So I think it would very, very, uh, very, very helpful.
1: That's great, Jim. Where can people follow you, the work that you're doing, and uh, you have such a clear mind on this? People need to to get behind that. Yeah, yeah. So you can find a lot of my
2: writings on the National Pulse website. Uh, that's edited by Raheem Kassam. You can that's also great. follow me on True Social at yeah. Big Jim Six Five Five Five. That's capital B I G, capital J I M
1: six, five, five, five. And I'll also be setting up a Substack here in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. William Anderson and Jim Nellis. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights on all of this. So important. Well, thank you. Have a great day. day. Thank, thank you, you too. Have yep. a good day. My pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build my pillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. The Percale and Giza Dream bedsheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale and Giza Dream sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There is a limited supply, so be sure to order now call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. I listened to interviews like that one, and maybe you had the same response. I'm so thankful there are actual experts that know what's going on in the world, and I'm glad that we can talk to them. Uh, Jim mentioned this in the interview, that one of the things we can be doing in spite of everything that's happening in the world and, and the economic world for sure, the supply chain, is talk about these things. We just don't talk about them. I think many of us are hesitant to talk about these issues because we just feel like we don't understand enough to fully Expound on and uh, explain as we're talking what's happening. I'm thankful for folks like William and Jim who who get it, they understand it, and they can explain it in a way that we can understand it. Please go and check out uh, the Mises Institute, check out uh, the the areas that Jim mentioned that he writes, and uh, very grateful for him not only doing this as a job, uh, but writing on it, explaining it, and uh, William, of course, as well. Thankful for these men and for this interview. This is an episode you are going to want to share out. I. Guarantee there are people in your life who need to hear this, who don't understand it, who need to, who will be better off because you sent this out to them. So please do that. First thing you need to do, though, is be subscribed to the podcast. If you're not yet subscribed, subscribe. I don't know what you're waiting for. Subscribe uh, right there on your favorite podcast platform, the one you're listening from. That'd be awesome. Leave us a rating if you can. That helps us, of course. That helps the show. And then once you've done that, go over to YouTube. You can find our channel, The Situation Report, on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave us a comment, share this content out. Uh, you may say, what does that do for you? Well, for you, it allows you to have access to the content that we provide at no cost to you. We want to make sure that you have that. For us, it gives us the opportunity to continue preparing, providing, and creating a content like this, having conversations like this. And again, our goal is that uh, you'll be helped in the culture in which we live, As quickly as things are changing, we need a source for the right information and perspectives, and we want this show, The Situation Report, to be that for you. So subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you are subscribed to our channel, and that would be fantastic. Really appreciate you listening and or watching today. Look forward to talking to you next time. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, These men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org.